Well, I have to confess, I'm, uh, I'm 46 and had a really hard time sleeping last night because I'm super excited it might snow. Uh, my kids were not the only ones going nuts yesterday in the hope that something might fall from the sky today. So we're all praying with you kids that there will actually be snow in Houston on the ground when we get up tomorrow morning. So um, we are uh, in a series we just started last week called uh, Life Made New, and it's a, a study in the book of Ephesians. I'm really excited about this. We got started last week, like I said, we shared uh, a little bit of kind of where we're going, why this book is so powerful and beautiful, really because it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the first few chapters really focus on what the gospel is and how that shapes who we are, uh, our identity, which we're going to focus on again this morning. And then four through six really get into, uh, so what does that mean? How do we live then in light of who the gospel says we are. And so uh, we're going to jump back into Ephesians. In fact, if you've got a Bible or if you can grab a Bible from one of the seat backs near you or if you're watching online, if you can get a Bible uh, and open it to Ephesians chapter 1, those verses we just heard, let's read 3 through 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, I've been listening to uh, a uh, an artist that I love, a guy named Drew Holcomb. I don't know if you're familiar with Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. I, I love them. I love their music. And I've been listening to it a lot lately. Uh, it was perfect music for a, a road trip I took back in January to the Smoky Mountains. It was just, it was awesome. So I got hooked on this song called Rolling Along. And I want to read you the first few lyrics of this song because I think it, it really captures part of what we're talking about here when we get into Ephesians. This is how the song begins, rolling around. It says, Billy was a kid down from New Orleans an actor child stealing all the scenes. He moved to the city and the stars and the cars and the bars blew him all away. So he drove to the ocean and he stood at the sea looking for reason and understanding. He choked on the answer and said he still couldn't believe. Roll, roll, rolling around, searching for the gold and the lost and found. Roll, roll, rolling around. And I've thought of that line so often as I've been reading through Ephesians of uh, searching for gold in the lost and found, roll, rolling around. Uh, I think it stuck with me in part because it resonates with me personally when I think about my own spiritual journey and my life with Jesus um, in the sense that uh, looking for identity, right, in so many other places and so many experiences, searching for that gold, right, in the lost and found. Uh, and I think it really uh, is, it resonates with me when I look out at our culture. I think this is so true that people are desperately searching, right, for, for meaning and purpose, desperate to experience fulfillment and love, longing to know who they are, longing to know who they are, and sadly looking in all kinds of places, looking for gold, as it were, in the lost and found. We talked about that a good bit last week. We talked about one of the facts, uh, one of the challenges is that our cultural moment is a moment of identity crisis, that there are fractured identities. Uh, there's this reality that all of us, I think, are tempted to live into, and many are embracing, of, of, of living with different identities for different situations. And it's this fracturing of identities that causes us all kinds of problems, anxiety, confusion, depression. It leads to conflicting values and views. And it's true for us, too. This is the culture we swim in, and so it shapes us and affects us, too. And we have to be very mindful of how that is true. And so we can, we can have, for example, a Christian worldview, but then maybe we're holding on to a secular sex life. 
uh, on one hand. Or we're, we're thinking of ourselves as followers of Jesus and we have a very rationalistic approach to money that has nothing to do with what the Bible teaches. And so our identities can kind of get caught up in these uh, cultural kind of uh, ways of thinking about who we are. Uh, we can be the prayer warrior, for example, on, at Life Group on Wednesday night. Meanwhile, we're the unethical business person on Thursday while we're at work. Meanwhile, we're the amazing parent who coaches soccer on Friday, the drunk fun friend at a Saturday night party, and then we come and we are the sold-out worshiper on, at church on Sunday morning. And the problem is we never think twice about it. We're all those different things in different places with different people, and we don't think twice about it. And this is what happens when we don't know who we really are and we don't live out of who we really are. Mark Sayers in his book, The Vertical Self, which I highly recommend, uh, he says it this way. He says, when we don't know who we are, we become slaves to our feelings. The momentary emotions we feel begin to dominate our lives and we become what we are feeling. When we don't know who we are, we become trapped and entrapped, ensnared, he says, in our circumstances. So everything that's going on, swirling on around me, whether it's politics or COVID or my personal life, a marriage, whatever it is, that's what defines who I am. That's the danger. That's what he's saying. He says the world defines us, and when we become more frustrated by the, we become more and more frustrated, he said, by the ups and downs of life, and that governs us. We become confused. We struggle within ourselves. We give up trying to find out who we are, and instead, we begin to act. We begin to treat life like it's a movie, he says. We carefully curate our image and our interchangeable identities as simply roles that we play. Now, that is a temptation for all of us. That's a danger for all of us. When we're asking this question, who am I? That's what's at stake. That's what's at on offer. And so the world has this buffet, right, of confusing identities that it offers to us. But the good news of Ephesians is this, right? It's that there is actually an answer to the question, who am I, that's clear and true and life-giving and beautiful and what we actually, at the deepest level, what we long for. Ephesians tells us that we are not left searching for gold, as it were, in the lost and found of identities. The bold claim of the gospel is that we can know exactly who we are. Who am I is where we left last week. And the answer came back, I am who God says I am. That's the answer. Who are you? Who are you at the depths of who you are? You are who God says you are. That's your identity. So this morning, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter one because now the question is, well, if I am who God says I am, who does God say I am? Who has he said that I actually am? So let's look at that. Open uh, Ephesians one, three through 14. And as you're looking at this, I want you to maybe Switch how you are thinking about these verses in particular just a little bit because I think it'll help us kind of tap into the heart of what Paul is saying. So I know it doesn't look this way, the way it's kind of uh, organized on the page, but this in a sense is, is poetry. This is, another way to think about it, this is a song. In other words, Paul has broken out into a song of praise three lines in to this letter. And, and it might help you to think about this. I, I didn't realize this for a long time as a follower of Jesus, but in, in the ancient world, uh, there were basically these, these roles that, um, that people called, they were called amuen, oh, I'm going to mess it up, amenuenses, that's what it's called. Uh, try that at home, amenuenses. They're, uh, they're people who take dictation, right? They write down the letter 
that Paul himself is uh, dictating. That's what's happening here in Ephesians chapter one. He's dictating this letter from a Roman prison. So don't imagine him sitting at a desk and like, what what should I say here? Like he is walking back and forth and there's this other guy sitting and writing and he's just flowing, just flowing out of his mouth. These, These words of praise, blessed be God the Father. That's how this kind of comes forth. That's how this is birthed. And I say that because I think when we really hear these words as praise, as a declaration of worship, we begin to tap into the heart of what Paul is actually saying here. It's worship, it's praise. And, and you get another sense of that through this. We have all kinds of punctuation in here. Three through 14 is one sentence in the Greek. It's one verse in an amazing song. And so I want us to receive it that way. And I just want you to notice a couple things about this song. Notice how it all holds together uh, on the words in Christ or in him. That's what kind of brings it back to you. That's the refrain over and over. And then the other thing I want you to notice when you read this is the identities that are embedded in this song. This is who we are. He's singing a song about who we are in Christ. So, for example, he says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, right? In Christ, in him, before the foundations of the world. He goes on to say, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the richness of his grace. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him, he says, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed and with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To what? The praise of his glory. If there was any doubt about what he is doing. He begins with blessing, blessing and he ends with praise. So, This is a song about who we are. How beautiful is that? It's this song about who we are. So what I want to do is I want to look at the lyrics of the song this morning, this powerful song about who God says you and I are. God is singing this over us. And I'm going to give you the roadmap. This is where we're going. There's three uh, three identities that we're given here that I want to highlight. The first is that we are chosen. We are chosen for adoption by the Father. That's verse 4 through 6. Second, we are redeemed for unity by the Son. We're redeemed, verse 7 through 10. Three, sealed for an inheritance by the Spirit. We are sealed. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, verses 11 through 14. So let's look at each one of these. First, we are chosen for adoption by the Father. Verse 4 says, he chose us in him before, what? The foundations of the earth. What? How is that possible? God chose you before there was anything. Not just before you were born, like before there was anything at all. God chooses you. He chooses me. He chooses us. Paul uses the word predestined uh, as another way of getting at this idea in verses 5 and 11. And and I just want to kind of talk a little bit about that idea because on the one hand, we all love to be chosen, right? We all kind of revert to that playground kid who was like standing there, pick me, pick me, pick me. I mean, you're playing it cool on the outside. You know, you're like, I'm cool, whatever. Pick me, please pick me. You know, that's us, right? We're that same kid when we hear choice. Someone choose me? Yes. Who doesn't want to be chosen? We want to be chosen. And so in part, we connect with this because we know the pain of not being chosen, right? We know the pain of not being the one who gets picked in life. 
But this idea of predestination, I think, also it causes us, some of us some anxiety, this idea of election. It makes us uncomfortable, and this is why. The idea of God choosing some means that he's not choosing others, right? So if he chooses some, then he's not choosing others. That's a whole, I think that's basically the rub when it comes to this idea of predestination. We get nervous about that, and we need to dive into that. Now, we don't have time to do that this morning, but I want to encourage you, you need to look at this. This is one of those things in Scripture that you need to study for yourself, and I can recommend some resources, but it gets at big questions, right? Huge questions about God's sovereignty and will. What does it mean that God's in control and he chooses us? On the other hand, we're still free to choose and respond to him. Does thinking of ourselves this way lead to pride? Why should we tell others if Jesus ultimately is just all about God choosing the right people? I mean, all these things like, kind of start coming up when you dig into this. But here's the thing. I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees on this one. The main point that Paul's making is that in Christ, you're chosen. In Christ, you're chosen. So just, again, let that sink in. In Christ, before time began, before there was anything, God chose you. How amazing is that? It's beautiful. It's powerful. The 39 Articles, um, which we're, so we're an Anglican church, uh, there's a statement of faith in the Anglican church called the 39 Articles. Uh, you can go and look that up. Just Google that. It's our statement of faith, basically. Uh, and this is one of the things it says about this idea of predestination or being chosen. I love this. It says, the godly consideration of predestination and election in Christ is full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort. That's what this means for us. It is sweet. It is beautiful. It is unspeakable comfort. And Jesus said as much. This is what Jesus said. He said, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. That's John 6, verse 37. God chooses who he gives to Jesus, and how do we come to Jesus? How are we given to Jesus? Through the gospel. We hear the story of what God has done for us in Jesus. That's how we come to trust him, to know him. And so this is super important in terms of our identity because when we know we're chosen, our identity can rest on that incredible truth. Paul says, as those chosen by God, we can then live as holy and blameless before him. Again, that's Ephesians 4 through 6, so we're gonna get to that. But the question isn't, uh, and I, I think, again, the forest for the trees thing is helpful. The question isn't, well, who's in and who's out? Who's chosen and who's not? The bottom line is we can't know that or even begin to understand how that even works. But God knows. And the important thing is that for those who put their trust in God, they are chosen. And when we're chosen, we know it's because it's got nothing to do with what we've done or haven't done. It's got nothing to do with anything that we have done or haven't done. And the question becomes, God, why would you choose me? Have you ever been chosen for something really amazing and thought, why do I get picked? Why do I get chosen? And verse 4 tells us exactly why you're chosen. We are chosen in love by the Father. In love, it says, he predestined us for, the adoption, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God loves you. And that's why he chooses you. Right? It's, it's, it's an act of love. So 
Most mornings at our house are fairly chaotic. We have three kids under 10. Uh, and Langley and I, you know, we're doing the best we can as parents. We get up, we, we make, you know, just the essentials. Are they fed? Do they have clothes on? The day's a win, right? Like that's, that's kind of where things are in our world right now. But, you know, we, do, we make them breakfast. Uh, we make sure they have clothes. We make sure they have clean clothes. Langley, in this crazy world, uh, pray for her. She's doing an amazing job as a, a teacher at home. Our, all our kids are getting homeschooled right now, and so she does that for hours on end each day, teaching our kids about God and history and science and poetry and all that stuff. And so she's doing that. She's taking them to tennis lessons. I'm taking Bennett to flag football. Uh, you know, we're doing laundry. We're plunging toilets. We're picking up Legos. There's so many Legos. There are so many Legos. It's just nonstop pick up Legos. And here's the thing. We don't do any of those things because we're getting a paycheck on Friday. We don't do any of those things because of uh, just the overwhelming reward of being a parent. <laughs> There are rewarding moments to being a parent, no doubt, right? But there are some really hard things, costly things about being a parent. Why do we do it? We do it because we love our kids. Man, if being a parent has taught me anything, it's taught me about the, the love of our heavenly father for his children. As a dad, I love my kids. Langley loves our kids. We love our sons and our daughter because they are our children. We love them, in other words, because we love them. There's nothing they have done or will ever do that will change that. And it's this picture of what the Father's heart is like towards us. That's why the Bible, I think, talks so much about this idea of family and adoption and sonship, being children of God, because this is a picture of what God feels towards us. In love, what Paul says is, God the Father has chosen us for adoption into his family, and the same thing holds. It's not because you've done anything or not done anything. It's not because you've said the right words or not said the right words. It's not because of anything you've done or said. It's because he loves you and he chooses you and he adopts you into his family. That's who we are, chosen. So important for that to land here, not just here. Because the truth is, in this life, many of us have been rejected. In fact, I'm just going to say it. We've all been rejected at some point about something in our life. We've all been rejected. And so when we hear this, you're chosen. You know, all those people, all the events, all the things in our life that shaped us and, and who we are and how we see ourselves that are rooted in rejection, right? All those things. The rejection we felt from a parent, from a spouse, from a child. The rejection we felt about something that was, quote, wrong with us. We're too slow, we're, we're, we're uh, you know, whatever, too, too fat, too skinny, too fill in the blank, whatever it is, you're rejected. Maybe you felt rejected by religion or the church, too many mistakes in your life. Or maybe you got vulnerable and you were just too honest, <laughs> made everybody uncomfortable. And so people pushed back. Maybe you felt rejected by God. And the truth is, the truth of Scripture, the truth of what God has revealed is you are chosen in Christ. In love, God the Father has adopted you into his family. You are not rejected. You are chosen. Hear these words. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's who you are. 1 John 3, 1. See, do you see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? And, he says, so we are. That's who we are. We are chosen. Who am I? Who are you? Chosen for adoption by God the Father. So first, we're chosen. Second, not only chosen, we're, we're redeemed. Paul goes on to talk about our redemption. Verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace. Now the word redemption uh, in the ancient world, it, it literally meant just to be set free. It was a very practical term. It was common practice that a slave or a servant could be set free if a payment was made on their behalf by another party. So there, there's that going on in Paul's day. There's also the background of the Exodus story here. So God's people, Israel, they were slaves in Egypt, and they are liberated from captivity. They are redeemed uh, from not only their slavery in Egypt, but the consequences of their sin. And by a symbolic act, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. This is a part of the story of the people of Israel. It's part of our story. And Paul has this in mind when he says of Jesus, in him we have redemption, what? Through his blood. Jesus is the greater Passover lamb. He is the one who's come to redeem us. And this is really important for us because the truth is we tend to see ourselves as independent individuals making our way in the world. That's kind of how we like to fashion ourselves, right? We, we're independent individuals making our way in the world. But the truth is, in this life, every one of us is under power and influence. We are under the power and influence of something and or someone. That is true, whether we think it's true or not. For example, we've already discussed how we can easily become enslaved, right, to our feelings and our desires, but we can also become susceptible to spiritual powers in our lives, to the power of sin in particular and the power of evil. Paul addresses these powers throughout the letter of Ephesians. It's going to come up again and again and again, this question of power, spiritual power. He's really going to hammer it home when we get to Ephesians 6, so we'll talk more about it there. But it is one of the main themes, and the reason is is because in Ephesus, uh, people believed in magic. There's a strong kind of culture of believing in dark spiritual forces and using magic to hold those forces at bay, right? So they would think this way, oh, I need magic and I need these spiritual practices in order to acquire supernatural power so that I can manipulate the physical and the magical or the spiritual world. That's how they thought. That's how they operated. Now, that's hard for us to connect to, (laughs) We don't walk around saying spells over things. Most of us don't carry little trinkets or wear things around our neck that we pray to or touch or all those kinds of things. Some people do, but most of us don't. We, we don't actually think in terms of manipulating the world through magic, but we do contend with spiritual power in our world, and we can still find ourselves enslaved to sin and under the influence of evil. And so again, we're going to talk more about that in Ephesians 6, but I just want to give you a, a one quick example uh, of many examples, almost anything can work in this way, but there are all kinds of spiritual powers at work in the world today. 
Uh, so materialism, scientism, academia, social justice. I'm not saying those things are bad. Material world, science, education, justice movements are, are not inherently bad. Don't hear me saying that. What I'm saying is the excessive belief that these things can save us or fix us or give us an identity, that they're the answer, in other words, that's magical thinking. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. And all those things, any example you could give of places that we look for identity apart from Christ, they all have this lie at the core of them. Satan wants to convince us of this lie, that there is another way than Christ, that there is another way, that we don't actually need God's power, and that we don't need him to redeem us. And so the hardest thing, I really think this, one of the hardest things for human beings to do is to admit that we are powerless to save ourselves. It is so hard for us, I mean, to really acknowledge that, to really own that, to really believe that, that we are powerless to save ourselves, that we actually need something outside of ourselves to save us, that we need to be redeemed. And so in Christ, we're redeemed. This is, this is what we need whether we feel it or not, this is what we need. We need to be redeemed. We need to be set free. We need change. Um, we aren't slaves to what uh, Paul calls in chapter 2 the ways of the world anymore in Christ. We aren't slaves to the cravings of our flesh anymore in Christ. We're free to think clearly and to see ourselves and others in the world rightly. We're free to live together as those created in the image of God. This is real freedom. This is what we are redeemed out of and to, life in Jesus, freedom from what the world offers. And so as the redeemed, I just want to say this, two things. One, we aren't slaves to our sin and our past. We are, Paul says, forgiven. We're forgiven. There is nothing you've done that cannot be forgiven. Nothing that you have done in this life that cannot be forgiven. Nothing. You are not a disappointment to God, by God's costly gift to us in Christ, by Jesus' death on the cross, he's dealt with all of that, our sin, our failure, our weakness, our guilt, our shame, all of that. We're free from that. When we put our trust in Christ, we are forgiven. We're forgiven. And so we are not slaves to our sin or our past. The second thing is we're not slaves to fear anymore. We are no longer slaves to fear. Fear that we're not enough, fear of being alone, fear of being rejected, fear, 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 whatever your fears are. You are free from the power of your fears in Christ. We all have fears deep within us. And one of the things that happens with our fears, the things that, I mean, like the things that we don't want anybody to know, those kinds of fears, right? The deep heart level fears. What happens is those fears, they actually block us off from God's presence and voice and blessing in our life they do and it's as simple as this they obscure who we really are right and they drown out the voice of God in our lives because all we hear is our fears all we respond to is our fear and the good news of the gospel is that we get the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit frees us from fear the Holy Spirit frees us from here it's, it's to hear God say there's nothing about you that I don't know there's nothing about you that I don't love. There's nothing about you that I can't heal, right, at the core of who you are. And so in Jesus, God has freed us from all of that. By what he has done, we have become free. And not just us, 
This is the beautiful part about what Paul says. In verse 10, he says, God's plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, in Christ and by what Christ has done, it's not just that we're free, but we're part of how God is bringing redemption to the whole world, bringing freedom to everyone, to all people. And so our disordered lives and our disordered world are being redeemed. And when Jesus returns, it will be redeemed from sin and evil once and for all, forever. Praise God. This is who we are, and this is our destiny. We are redeemed in Christ. All right, so finally, not only are we chosen, not only are we redeemed, we're sealed. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You have been sealed with the Spirit. A seal uh, is a mark of ownership. It's one way to think about it. It's also a, a, a mark of protection. It says, this is part, you're part of me. You're with me, right? And so God's seal is a mark of his permanent Ownership, you are his. He loves you. He has purchased you by the blood of Jesus. You are his. And it's a sign of his constant protection and the power of the Holy Spirit over your life. No matter what you go through, no matter what's coming your way, that is true. I I remember um, when my younger brother was little, he's about three years younger than me, Patrick, uh, he he had this very distinct birthmark on his arm, Big birthmark right on, on, under his elbow there, above his elbow. And I remember I was fascinated with it because I didn't have one. I, I was like, man, I didn't get a birthmark. What's the deal? How come he got this cool-looking birthmark? And I was like, I have So I always like, was fascinated with it. And I was thinking about that uh, because it marked him, right? It, it, it was a sign. It was a seal on him of his birth. And, and in a sense, the Holy Spirit's like that. It's like a birthmark, when we're born again into life with God, it marks us. It's, it's who we are. It's, it's the sign of our new birth in life. And it says we're his and we're safe with God. But it's also the seal of the Spirit that reminds us that God is actually with us. Right? We're his, but he is with us. The Holy Spirit is a person, the literal presence of God within us. It's how we experience intimacy with God the Father as his children. Um, my kids and, uh, and I were watching a movie, the uh, whole family really were watching a movie. Uh, have you all ever seen this movie, Radio? It's kind of old. It came out in the 90s. Y'all remember that movie? I, lo- I love this movie. I hadn't seen it in like 20 years or whatever, but we watched it. And uh, man, I was crying. I'm just gonna own it. <laughs> By the end of this movie, I was bawling. Uh, it's, it, it's about this boy named James, this young man really, named James, if you haven't seen it. And his nickname is Radio, and he's a young African-American man with some mental disabilities, and he's befriended by this guy named Coach Jones. And Coach Jones is the high school football coach uh, in the small town where they live in South Carolina. And so at one point, Radio's um, mom passes away. She's been his only caretaker, the most constant in his life, and she passes away. And there's this really powerful scene where Coach Jones comes into his room, and he's just destroyed uh, Radio's destroyed his room, and he's crouched on the floor, and he's just holding this picture of his mom. And he keeps saying over and over, like, she said she'd never leave me. She said she'd never leave me. She said she'd never leave me. 
And Coach Jones, he says, man, I can't, I, there's nothing I can say that can take away the pain. But he's like, I want you to know, he's like, that your mom is with you. Like, she's with, she is with you. And I thought about that because, man, like, in that moment, I mean, you could kind of dismiss that as kind of, you know, a sentimental wish, you know, in the face of intense grief, just trying to say something to comfort this guy. But, like, I don't know, something about it, I was just like, whatever is true about that, what Paul's saying is as true as that could possibly be about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, man, is with you. No matter what you're facing, no matter what the pain, no matter what the challenge is, like, God is with you, and he will never leave you. That's what he says. That's his promise. He's always going to be with us. Jesus said, John 14, I will never leave you. I will not leave you. As orphans, I'll come to you, he said. Matthew 28, Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. <clears throat> John 14, 26, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. It's the presence of the Spirit within us. God's Spirit is within you. That's the seal. The seal is the Spirit. The seal is the Spirit that gives us hope and strength and joy in this life. No matter what we face, the Holy Spirit is like the down payment, the foretaste of what life is going to be like with Jesus. When there's no more pain, no more fear, no more evil, it's the taste of life as it was meant to be with God. The Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence is in us. It is the guarantee of our inheritance, as Paul says, that one day we will take full possession of to the praise of his glory. You are sealed. So as we end, I, I, I made this, I guess, kind of a little chart um, that I just wanted, if you, if you got something, maybe take a picture of it, or if you want to jot this down, because this is what we've said. We're chosen, we're redeemed, and we're sealed. And what I've found in my own life is these things, sometimes I can believe them and sometimes I can't. Sometimes it's just really hard for me to accept this for all kinds of reasons. And on the right, what, what I've found to be um, some, sometimes the reason that's hard for me is there are fears in my life, deep fears in my life uh, that are rooted in things like uh, rejection or the fear of being alone. And it... it, it it makes it hard for me to really receive this word that I'm chosen. Same thing with redeemed. That, man, I, I can never, be, I, I've done, you don't know what I've done. I can never be forgiven. Uh, I can't change. I've tried to change so many times in this area of my life. I just keep doing the same thing over and over. I can't, you, God, God can redeem that. He can heal that. Sealed, I, I don't have hope. I've lived so much of my life this way. Uh, man, there's just no hope that I'm ever going to actually be any different or that the world will be different or things are so dark right now. I just can't see past right now. Um, maybe you feel like, man, just I, I'm a total failure with my life. These are, these are the fears. These are the voices that crowd out the truth of who you are, chosen, adopted, redeemed, and sealed. So I want you to take some time. I want you to think about who God says you are and how some of these fears make that hard maybe for you to receive. Um, 
four times, it's the last thing I'm going to say, four times in this song that Paul gives us in chapter one, we're told that all of this is according to his will. It's according to God's will. God is at work in the world and history and in our lives. He knows who you are. He made you. He made you for a purpose, a purpose that is ultimately not just about you. This is so freeing when we think about who we are as chosen, redeemed, and sealed. It's not just about you, ultimately. This is about God, ultimately. And so when our identity is rooted in who he says that we are, what happens is we can let God be God of our lives, and we don't have to pretend that we're in charge anymore. We can let go and let God be the God of our lives, and we can receive who he says that we actually are. This is about God above all. This is not a journey for self-identity. This is about hearing who God says that we really are according to his will. Does that make sense? I just I wanted to hit that point. It was a little out of order, but just hit me. I just want to make sure we got that clear. This is about the Lord. This is not about a journey into self. Yep. All right. So let's let God tell us who we are and who are we? We are chosen, we are redeemed, and we are sealed. Amen? All right, let's pray.